Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's January 13th, 2017. You're listening to the best poker cast on the planet. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. So, yesterday, I go to the mail. I remember it like it was yesterday. And... I'm like, what is this bag in here? What is this thing? And then I pull it out, and it's got, like, Annie up on it. And I'm like, hey, oh, that's right. Scott said he overnighted me something. And I'm like, why did he, why did he send me something? And then he overnighted it, too. I'm like, what is this? I'm glad you brought up the overnight part because I got a funny story about that. Oh, good. So I'm like, hey. what, what the heck is going on? And the funny thing is people would just crack up if they knew that we lived, like, eight minutes from each other. <laughs> <clears throat> but uh, so I'm like, oh, there's, there's something in here. What is this? And I open it up, and it's like this beautiful soccer jersey, and it's got my name on it and my number from when I was in high school and played sports. And I'm like, and then all of a sudden I'm like, whoa, look at this! It's got this awesome design on the front. It's got our Annie Up Poker Tour logo, J Design logo, and then I'm like, I I recognize this king in the middle, and I'm like, that's the king of clubs from J Design guys. It was like the nicest jersey. <clears throat> It was, and then uh, you called me up, and you're like, I'm going to bowl in it. And I did bowl in it last night. <laughs> and I love the fact that uh, Jason, Holly, J-Design, and I went through all this effort. And actually, it's been a whole year, and I was just getting to that. That's sad, I know. But, wow. Uh, to create a soccer jersey for you so you can go bowl in it. I did. I bowled in it last night. I bowled kind of crappy. I kind of stunk up the joint. I mean... Well, um, it's because you were wearing a soccer jersey. Instead. Yeah, I know. I, I guess I could wear a bowling jersey playing soccer, and I would yeah, stink, so that, too. Yeah, I think that's what's going to happen now. <laughs> now you're going to have to work with somebody else of our great vendors to design a bowling shirt for me, and I will wear <laughs> playing soccer. And, and the world will be back in balance. Oh, <laughs> I, have a, I have a teammate who's a big soccer fan. He's got, like, a soccer tattoo on his forearm, and we talk soccer every once in a while. We talk about Ronaldo and Messi and all that stuff. And so he shows up. I'm like, I wore this for you, buddy. Look. And he's like... What is it? And I'm like, it's a soccer jersey. What, are you, what is it's it? It's a bowling shirt. And he's like, no, no, I mean, what what team is that? And I'm like, oh, Stanley, a football club, man. What are you kidding me? I said, I'm a striker. <laughs> and he started laughing. So uh, he's like, no, if you were a striker, you'd be wearing 10. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I'm just joking. But um, but he liked it. He liked it a lot. And, uh, you know, I, I thought it was beautiful. I love the uh, the king of clubs on the front. I thought it was it was really nice. And uh, But the other thing I wanted to bring up was that my other teammate, Who's like the best bowler on our team, and he runs the pro shop at the Bowling Alley. Um, he almost made history last night with us. He he started with the first thirty-one strikes in a row last night, back to back three hundreds, and then the front seven. Wow. He almost bowled nine hundred last night. It was unbelievable. It was like the most remarkable thing I've ever seen. I mean, guys have bowled seven hundred. I'm nine hundreds before like thirty times or so. It's happened, and actually the same day yesterday, a seventy-year-old man did it 
in Evansville, Indiana. It was unbelievable. The guy bowled 900. And you jinxed the guy by wearing a sock. <clears throat> I know. I should if I had a regular bowling shirt on, he might have gotten that eighth one. And then you know, but he uh, he struck on every ball except for the the eighth one of the third game. It's unbelievable. So I'm wearing the jersey, you know, and <clears throat> people are videotaping it and recording it, whatever you want to call it. I'm dating myself there, but uh, you know. <laughs> Well, yeah, we'll uh, we'll wear these jerseys in outdoor arenas as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And see what kind of reaction we get, but it might be something that we we add to the Annie Up uh, store at antiupmagazine.com slash shop. Great items already there <laughs> um, for future. But, uh, but yeah, you know, I'm just, I've become a soccer fan pretty big yep. lately. And, yep. uh, you know, I, I'm starting to, I hate to say collect soccer jerseys, but I, I buy, any country I go to, I buy one. And, Obviously, all the teams I follow, and I find them just comfortable to wear, as much as my wife hates them. So um, I'm like, you know, it seems like we should have one for Annie up. So, um, and then I, when I thought first thought of it, I'm like, you know, you see some of these classic, as like football jerseys, because it goes back to England, right? Mm-hmm. They call it soccer there, um, <laughs> and they're just you know the regal looking. And um, so when I thought about that, I'm like, gosh, who do I know? That has a very regal-looking design out there. I'm like, hey, Jason, help me out here. Uh, and I don't think he's ever played soccer, never had been interested in soccer, and uh, but he was interested in, in trying to put something together for us. He spent a lot of time studying uh, jerseys from around the world. Right. Uh, um, and uh, so we came up with our little Andy up uh, FC, and uh, it took a while. It really did take a while because we kept going back and forth, but. It's and it, the shirt is nice. I mean, the shirt is a nice shirt. It's breathable on the outside too. It's got the little holes in it, you know, the little pinholes, and and it's just it's just. I mean, it's it's athletic wear. You know what I mean? So it was really comfortable to bowl in. And um, the weird thing though was when he bowled his first three hundred, I yelled goal, <laughs> and I shouldn't have done that. I should have just said, "Hey, nice shot in his hand," but it just turned me into this super fan, you know. But uh, yeah, it was it was really cool to wear. I really appreciate the shirt. Thanks, guys. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, yeah, so the, the quick story about overnight before we actually move Oh, right, right, right. Is that, uh, you know, when I go to the post office, he, he does, the post office guy knows me now because I come in there, you know, a couple times a month for all of our any up stuff. Right. And, um, and I've always noticed that every time I send you, like, a package, they put the overnight sticker on it, even though I'm paying for the three-day priority or whatever. Right. And I'm like, that's fine. And in my mind, I'm make, it makes sense because they literally are driving it down the street. I mean, because I'm too lazy to drive it <laughs> down the street, right? Um, so it makes sense that it's going to overnight. And he, and, you know, he had explained to me he just goes in the, uh, into a different bin and everything, so it gets there. And I'm like, yeah, I get it, I get it. But I'm like, you understand, you haven't met my business partner, right? <laughs> <laughs> and when he sees that overnight sticker, he's going to think I'm just paying money. <laughs> And then he's like, oh, I'm sorry. And he wanted to explain the whole thing. I'm like, no, 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 I'm just joking with you. I don't need you to explain. I understand. But I just need you to know what I deal with on a daily basis. She said, here's my partner's phone number. Call him and tell him. Let him know I didn't pay $18 for that. I did not say anything. I merely opened the package and was happy to receive my prize. Oh man! All right, well, let's talk about uh, some poker now. Uh, hey, we have a home- before, before you move on, I, I, we have a home game tomorrow. And you're not going. 
Uh, Faso's going. It's at Gambit's house. Doc's going, but you're not going. You're you're doing the whole political thing, probably. Yeah, they're campaigning and stuff. Um, but I had a question for you, and I, and I don't I don't mean to make the show any longer than I have to because you know me. I'm always whining about you know, it being like, over and over. Complains about that. So I know. Try to hold them off while you tell your story. So, but uh, Mark discovered a couple of people I think he may work with or or something, but um, who are new or not new, but who will be new to our game tomorrow. Yeah, I think, yeah, that's right. I think at least two people, and I wonder how. How, in your mind, do you approach something like that? Do you just say, oh, it's just going to be a regular two guys? Or do you go in like, with your extra sensory going and saying, okay, what are these guys going to play like? And can I expose this without being a jerk? You know, I mean, it's it's the first time they're going to be in our home game. They may be great. They may be terrible. But do you ever have any kind of reservations about playing with new people for the first time like that, especially in a sort of a uh, much more friendly scenario than just going to a poker room and playing with strangers. You know what I mean? Right. It's different. So have you ever thought about that? Like, well, Because the there, there was a time there where you and I were playing, like, all kinds of home games and stuff. It wasn't even our own. Like, people, people were invited. Back, back when it was really popular, people were inviting us to their houses, strangers, and we were going there and taking all their money and then leaving or whatever it was we were doing. But, you know, so we were getting kind of used to it. But this is, like, the first time I'm playing with people in a, you know, private setting that I don't know. You know, um, yeah, I would say uh, you're overthinking it. Okay, good. I thought I was. <laughs> That's you. <laughs> I thought I was, though. Uh, no, but I would say for me, uh, home games are always more about the social aspect than the actual poker aspect. Right. Uh, and we've been fortunate in our game that we can uh, it can be an enjoyable social day, but we're all still really serious about the game, so it works on two levels, which is awesome. Right. Uh, that's not really the case, I think, for a lot of home games. I don't think. I think some of our listeners are struggling that their home games are either just uh, skewed too much towards the fun and aren't as competitive as they want them to be, or they're way too competitive and they just want to have a beer and talk about uh, Clemson winning the national championship. Right, right. right. Our, ours has a really good mix. Now, Mark's game is a little bit different because it's, you know, he's bringing in different people. So. Uh, but we've had different people come circle through, and for me, I just it, I, I like meeting new people. So mm-hmm. I'm a social person, right? So I'm always interested in meeting new people and getting to know them. So I, I think my first time at a game like that would be uh, I'm just interested in getting to know who, who these people are that that share something in common with me. Right? Okay, okay. Well, I'll, I'll take you know, the dossier for you. Said, I'm obviously <laughs> going to be watching how they play, right? And adjusting, and you know, I'm I'm, I'm not there to make friends. Just make friends. I'm there to also make friends and make money and have the money to. Hey, I'll pick up the tab next time because I totally fleeced you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm gonna try to be competitive, but uh, but I, I'm not gonna go in like, oh my gosh, I got a strategy on uh, how to take uh, a newbie or not. Because really, you don't know anything about it, right? Well, yeah, no, you know, yeah, no, nothing. They, they enjoy poker, so okay. Yeah, I just I'm very curious. Like I was thinking about more of like, uh, I mean, I guess we'll find out during the night. But I was wondering about maybe like what kind of banter do you have with them? Do you say stuff like, "Hey, uh, so you know, so you you play hold them all the time," or you know, try to get information out of them about you know how often do you play stud eight? No, never. Okay, uh, next next game stud eight, guys. You know, do you, do you, I mean, what do you? Because you get the call of your game when it comes up to you, you know, or do you just talk to them and and let them? Because a lot of times they'll they'll reveal that themselves. Sure. Yeah. They'll or they'll turn the mark and say. All right. Well, what's this game? How do you play this? You know, or whatever. And most of the time, it's because they're genuine. They're not like faking it and trying to make you think they don't know how to play it. And they do. So I guess that'll be revealed anyway during night. I was just curious what you thought yeah. about it because he's the only one like really who brings new people into our games. Usually, your game is always set with the standard same people. Yeah. 
Um, but all right, just curious. I'll, I'll get a dossier set for you, and I'll pass on any information I get for you to let you know how they play next time. <laughs> all right, well, uh, it's round two of humans versus computers at the poker table. I think that's a sci-fi <laughs> movie coming in. Uh, it's four pros that begin a 20-day match at Rivers Casino in Pittsburgh against Robotas. What the hell is that? Libertas? Libertas? I guess. Libertas. I guess. Libertas. I don't know. I, I, I gave a little Game of Thrones forceful there, so... <laughs> It's a new way of covering over the fact that I can't pronounce words. I just started it's watching that show, by the way. strong and no one notices, right? I've just started season one of uh, Game of Thrones. Oh, it's very good. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. All right, anyhow, uh, they're playing against uh, Libertros, a computer program by Carnegie Mellon University researchers to play No Limit Hold'em. Uh, two of the four pros competed in the first competition, but that was Limit Poker. Um, and additionally, researchers from three world universities have announced that their artificial program beat pros over the course of nearly 45,000 hands in a separate uh, competition. Hmm. So the big thing here is, you know, I, I saw there, we got a lot of press releases and a lot of stories about this leading up. And I'm like, yeah, I've been there, done that, right? Yeah. Um, and then when I, you know, actually took the time to actually look into it, I'm like, oh, this is no limit. Because if you go back two years ago when we talked about this on the show... Um, I think we had the same thing. It's you know, it's not nearly as impressive that a computer can beat you at limit poker, which is very mathematical. I mean, right. There's still a human element in it, but for the most part, it, you can program it to handle the math, and then it doesn't really need to worry about the, the human element. And I think back then we both said, "Hey, you know, color or suppress when you do this with no limit," mm-hmm. and then kind of laughed it off, right? Well. Apparently, they listen to us. It's <laughs> been the last few years going, hey, we're going to show up, Scott and Chris. That's and right. <laughs> and uh, so they've been uh, developing, uh, competing AI programs to, to do that. Um, so I think this is actually going to be very fascinating. Um, I, I don't know too much about the one study that's already done, um, although it, it, it did sound like the, um, the amount that the computers beat the pros was kind of st- st- Statistically insignificant. It was pretty close, I guess, is what I'm saying. Oh, okay. So, like, that they ended with like 45,300 yeah. chips. Yeah, they versus... use kind of weird terms that I don't know. <clears throat> so I'm going to stay out of it. But it, it, it's made it sound like, uh, yes, this is impressive that a computer beat pros in this game that's very hard for computers to learn. Um, but they did, like, beat the pants off them. <laughs> right. So, it's hard to drive any kind of good um, conclusion from it. Um, but now we're in the second thing, you know, a completely different program, completely different university. And um, uh, the first day was uh, yesterday, and the computer is got a slight edge right now in terms of money one. Uh, two of the four pros um, beat it for more money. The other two lost, and the two that lost lost more than the two that won. Ah, uh, okay, I got you. So the computer right now is up. <laughs> but that's day one, and obviously, you know, any kind of good research you need to have a good sample size so that's why they're playing this out over 20 days so you know next month we'll be back on the show talking about you know whatever the conclusion is but um but i'm gonna be very impressed to see how well uh people can teach a computer to play no limit so many more variables in it what's very interesting to me is that it was pretty much 50 50 there which is what no limit hold'em is a lot of times Two of the players won, two of the players lost. 50-50 flips happen in Olam and Hold'em all the time with bad beats. So there could be a computer in there that's saying, all right, this guy went all in. 
the odds are the hand I'm holding, and it runs through all the calculations and calls, and then it's losing, but then it wins on the flop. It flop, you know what I mean? Or you know what I mean? So there's suckouts and things like that. Whereas in the limit game, like you said, it's it's more of a science, and it's okay. The the odds of me making this draw are X. I'm gonna have to pay Y, so X is greater than Y, so I'm not I'm gonna fold, and then vice versa. So <clears throat> a no limit hold'em. If they do win, I, I think you could also have to you'd have to look at the hands and how they won to determine whether or not this was actually some massive step forward in the artificial intelligence of it. You know, I'm, you know, what I'm trying to say it's like yeah. it, it, there there is definitely luck involved in this game. Does that mean that those two guys who lost got it all in good and then lost, and now all of a sudden the computer's a genius, or they actually outplayed him or them? You know what I mean? That's the thing. Yeah, so. I think there's another element to this, too, and I hope that the, the, the four pros that were chosen to play this, obviously they're very interested in this, um, are, are playing it straight up in terms of trying to help the research and right. figure out the research, right? Right. Um, but if you want to go killer poker style, right, where you're at the table, I want everybody's money, I think my approach, um, and maybe this is a more interesting discussion, the easy part of the computer programming Right, is the calculating the odds and all that kind of stuff, the math. Yeah, yeah, right. Where I think it gets more difficult, and this is why it's been probably a real challenge to teach a computer how to play No Limit, comes from the the, the human part of it, the, you know, how much to bet and where, um, and how to respond to somebody else's moves, right? Yeah. So, you know, again, it, it goes back to the whole how thing, and you know, you're being irrational, right? So, if you, I think as a human, if you're playing irrationally, I think that's got to frustrate the AI, right? Yeah. Which is not human, is that you know? But it, we're trying, we're trying to train AI to be human, and so you have to give it a lot of math behind. Um, it goes back to our binary bunch of people, right? Every time we have this argument, it's like everything in the world is zeros and ones. Mm-hmm. Which is correct, so you could program it that way, but if somebody goes off script, then the computer has to be able to account for that. Um, and I don't know how you do that. Especially... I mean, obviously, we've seen AI on some of these training sites, they get better the more you play them, right? Um, and maybe that's it. Maybe they just need to... That, that's why that first study, they did 34 pros, so you get different kind of styles, right? Now we're only get four, but... That's where I think, you know, I think eventually if you go, you know, go back to the Oscar Awards, you know, the movie Her, I don't know if you ever saw that. Yeah, but, yeah, I did. But I think that's kind of what we're doing, right? The, the more the people interact or players play against the computer, the smarter it's going to get. That's how AI works, right? Right. So I would say initially now, if if the humans can't beat the computer in this first test, we're doomed. <laughs> <laughs> the computer's only going to get smarter, Right. Right. I, I one of the things that I I wonder too is I, I can't remember now are they playing these people heads up? Yes, they are. Yeah, so that would be something too. You throw them into the, the ten handed dynamic with nine people who play oh, yeah. all different ways and see what that computer does yeah, too. Yeah, you yeah. know, that's that's probably a it was probably a Herculean step to get from limit poker to where they are now. Right, right. And then it's like twenty her Hercules to get <laughs> to a a sit and go. Right. And then beyond that, then you got to teach it how to play. A multi-table tournament with a lot of players, or a cash game. So yeah, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of work left, regardless of how this turns out. Yeah, absolutely. 
Okay, Annie Updates. Uh, speaking of dates, uh, we have set our Annie Up World Championship for July 20th to August 6th, and our Annie Up NorCal Classic for October 17th to the 22nd, both at Thunder Valley Casino Resort. For more details on these and all Annie Up Poker Tour events, visit AnnieUpPokerTour.com. And Parks Casino and Sugar House Casino are the latest venues to join our Restock the Shelves Charity Food Bank Initiative with Blue Shark Optics. While the official date of Restock the Shelves is January 16th, many rooms are doing events on other days or running donation promotions every, promotions every day leading up to the Restock event, including Tampa Bay Downs, where you'll get at least one raffle ticket for the Antioch Poker Cruise drawing for every food item that you donate uh, from now until January 16th. For more information, visit antiochmagazine.com slash restock. Each week, we spotlight a listener who emails us at podcast at antiupmagazine.com. And if they haven't won something from us in the past year, just like we do with Call the Four and Hand of the Week, we send them something very cool. comes from Mark Wittig. Uh, he says, I just got back from Las Vegas and played some spread limit hold'em in Excalibur. It was $2, $6 spread. Why not just run 3-6 hold'em? Uh, I played the 2-10 in Laughlin, but the 2-6 spread was weird. First of all, I want to thank Mark for contributing this question versus po- at PokerRadius.com. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Bandy up group discussions. <laughs> um, and um, it's an interesting question. What I told him is that that 2-6 spread game at Excalibur has been there since I've been going to Vegas. Since I've been playing poker in Vegas, I should say. So it's kind of uh, grandfathered in, I would say. So, right. Um, so uh, there's two ways you can answer this question. One... Um, the reason they do is because they always have. Right. I would think that's that's a clinical answer, right? Right. A uh, strategic answer is, you know, what I followed up with them. I'm like, you know, I'm curious what the bet sizing was because that determines, in my mind, whether the room is better off being a three six fixed limit versus a two to six spread. Um, because if people are betting kind of like a three six fixed, then he's right. Why not just Run a three six fix, not worry about it. Right. But if folks are, you know, using that max bet uh, pre flop or on the flop, um, or betting two, making like two or three dollar value bets on the river, that that's why you play spread, and that's why that game should be that way instead of three six. Um, I've always liked spread. It's very hard to find now, uh, and I agree with them. The two to ten, as I like to call it, is more spready. <laughs> So you've got more room in it. Right. Um, And it's unfortunate that that spread limit isn't more prevalent because I think it's a really good game for bridging the gap between the two. You know, there's a very, you know, I know a lot of people don't like fixed limit because they think it's boring because, you know, you've taken away part of their decision how much to bet, right? Right. Um, and limit players don't like to play no limit because they don't like some young punk um, or somebody with a Casenza nine on the back of their <laughs> bowling slash soccer jersey right. to shove all in and push them off a hand. Um, so a spread kind of gets both of those. It, it allows you some creativity in your bet sizing without also without necessarily being able to be shoved off by an all in and have to consider whether. Um, but he's right. You know, the, the bigger the spread, the more uh, creativity is in there. Now, I mean, if you go to like um, some of these states that, that can't pay, aren't legally allowed to play traditional no limit, so they play one to a hundred spread limit. 
Right. Which is essentially the same thing, you know, with a you know a really large cap. That's a different story. But I think traditionally you're looking at this two to ten. That's a pretty popular one. Um, but I don't necessarily think that the two six is uh, the three six fixed is necessarily preferable to two six spread. Um, just kind of depends on how the players are playing it. You're smarter than I am. I don't know about that. I just <laughs> have uh, small words that I make them sound like big words. <laughs> <laughs> All right, find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or home game and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been, email us at podcast at antietmagazine.com. We'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo Director of Poker, Elliot Schechter, tell you how he would have ruled. You do realize that's a lot of words. Yeah, well, you know. For one breath. Yeah. It's not easy to say that every week. You knock it out of the park 3 to 4% of the time. It's, so. it's not easy to say. Uh, it comes from some stranger, new listener, first-time submitter, uh, Vic G., he says, "Call the floor live." Please. <laughs> uh, there's a $5 straddle limp to him, and he makes it $25 to go. Next player tosses a $5 chip into the pot. Dealer informs him that it was raised to 25 Player decides to go all in for his remaining $56. Everyone folds, and I eventually win the pot. But I tell the dealer that a single chip tossed into the pot generally signifies a call, or betting anything less than a full bet is a call. So at most, the player in question should have been allowed to call the $25 bet and not move all in. This card room does not uh, does allow players to retrieve their preflop bets if they are unaware of a straddle. Also, what about players not paying attention uh, who might call the $5 in this situation having not noticed the raise? Would you allow them to retrieve their bet? What if they have on headphones? All right, Elliot says, this answer applies to the single chip errors described in the situation. The most common variant of cash game betting rules is the following. Deliberately acting out of turn will not be tolerated. A player who checks out of turn may not bet or raise on the next turn to act. An action or verbal declaration out of turn may be rule binding if there's no bet, call, or raise by an intervening player acting after the infraction has been committed. In player-friendly houses, such as the one you described, it's quite common to let players uh, committing errors due to lack of paying attention take their single chips back. This is more a function of stakes, as the players in smaller blind games tend to be less experienced and more likely to not be paying full attention. As these smaller blind games account for 66 to 90 percent of most poker room players, uh, poker rooms players and revenues, you couldn't get more exact. <laughs> Uh, keeping the peace and maintaining customer service are generally viewed as a higher priority than punishing players for not paying maximum attention. These type of single chip errors generally but not always disappear above the 1-2 and 1-3 blind games. As for wearers of headphones, it is reasonable that they pay more attention than the average player. If that is too much of a challenge for the headphone wearer, the casino should require that the player play without the headphones. Pretty, uh, pretty good. I, I, I don't really see anything wrong with that. Yeah, I think this is a good answer that illustrates kind of the challenge that poker rooms have in uh, enforcing the rules so people know that the game is going to be run um, clearly, consistently, and fairly, mm-hmm. versus also the understanding from the business perspective that this is a fun game for people. This is entertainment. People are out um, having a good time, and if you are overhanded or even well within your reason in enforcing rules that don't really change the game that much. That's the kind of stuff that drives players away. And so what I would say to folks is that I'm a rule follower. I I tend to like people to follow rules. 
I get upset when people don't follow rules, but you also need to understand that if it's not an egregious, um, it's good for that player not to be chastised and then walk away from the game because that makes it harder for you to have a game. Yeah. It's almost like an extension of the uh, don't tap on the aquarium. You know, when you have a bad player, and there's always some loud mouth there that just berates the guy until the guy says, you know, I don't need this. <laughs> I'll go to a movie instead. Right. And it leaves, and everybody else is like, what? <laughs> that was our ATM. <laughs> so it's almost the same way here is um, that, you know, it, within reason, you want to try to make uh, the low-limit games fun and comfortable for people. And so, I mean, there's a way to enforce the rules that keeps the game fair without being too overly clinical about it. Is there a way to interpret this play as an angle shoot? I don't see it as an angle shoot, you know, because you can expose the the poker room's friendliness for, hey, I can get away with changing my mind now and going all in because what what why didn't he just go all in in the first place if he wanted to try he's trying so he's trying to trap somebody so it seems like he's clearly in this case it seemed like he was clearly mistaken and got his chance because we I did this once on a home game by accident I um I think I checked out a turn. It was a long time ago at your house, and I still remember where I was sitting, and, and I had Fasto on my right, and I checked out a turn by accident. Fasto raised before it got to me, and I re-raised him all in or something, and he was like, what? And, and everyone's like, you can't do that. And I'm like, well, why? The, the action changed. But um, I didn't yeah, mean to do your, it. Your play would have been, in your mind, I mean, obviously, we don't know, we're don't. we not in your mind, thank God. Hmm. Um, but in your mind, had he raised, you were going to raise anyhow, right? The right. only reason that you did differently was because that action hadn't happened yet right and i had checked i had checked because i was going to trap but then when someone raised i thought okay well now i can re-raise change the dynamic yeah Yeah. so this could have been that situation yeah and i think the point you're bringing up is a good one this is probably also you know the the the, the strict interpretive rule players out there that that's a good argument for them to make is that you know once you become a room where you know the rules can be a little squishy um, because you're trying to protect these new players or the casual players or recreational players, there are going to be some smart Deutsche banks that are going to seize on that and use that uh, to their advantage. So um, I think you're right. I think in this case, um, you know, he, he planned to bet $5, but then when he found out that, you know, it had already been raised, then now he wants to... <laughs> His strategy for the hand changes without extra information. Right, because he's thinking, well, I want, really want to play this hand, but I'm not going to call 25 when I only have 56, so I might as well shove. Or he's saying, well, I was trying to trap to get someone to raise, but someone already did raise, so now it changes my strategy. And that, so he's fully uh, allowed to do that, I think. It's just the part about – because I know a lot – there are very few poker rooms that will let you take that bet back unless it's, like, like instantly obvious. or You know what I mean? It's like a lot of times they're like, no, I'm sorry, it's got to stay in the middle or you can call. But you can't raise. That's the weird thing. Yeah. And, and I don't have a problem with a room enforcing that here. And then, again, it's, it's how you – it's always – all these things are always about how you communicate the ruling to a player. Right? Yeah, yeah. If you come and you're like, hey, man, you should know that. Or you can't do blah, 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 that uh, – people get upset. But if you explain to them, hey, really sorry that you didn't see the raise, but your single chip – now means that you call that raise and you don't have any other action, you know, so just, you know, try to pay a little more attention next time. And then that that's a good happy medium in these two scenarios, I think. Um, and it depends on the player. I mean, sometimes, you know, you could be the nicest person in the world with someone that can still be a jerk back to you, so, but... 
Uh, but I do, do think a lot of it is how the rooms explain it. And in the same way, if they decide the other way, um, obviously explaining to Vic as to why this player was allowed to do that. And again, if you're if you're explaining it like Elliot did, I would hope that that has carries some weight um, to the person that's upset about it. Yeah, yeah. And, and say, all right, I get it. Um, and then I would think you are well within your um, it's proper for you to, to say, hey, I get that, I understand it. Just be careful because I, I think um, people might be able to use that as an angle shot in the future. And then now you have a good conversation going, right? Yep. Yep. So absolutely. Um, and I definitely agree with them on the on the headphones too. I mean, you know, um, if you're going to wear headphones, that's fine. I'm certainly not suggesting you don't. I, I wear them from time to time when I'm playing, but I know when I have them on that I have to pay more attention. Or I have to accept the consequences of not paying a close attention. Exactly. So you know, if I if I do exactly the scenario here, where I you know throw a bed in and I go, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't raise, and I got the headphones on, I'm not blaming anybody but me. That that was on me, and I'm going to do whatever I'm instructed to do by the dealer. Um, but if you're not that person, if you're that person that's going to insist that even though you weren't paying attention because you couldn't hear anything, that you get special treatment, man, sorry. Yep. It's like those beats in the hotel room. It's like playing nine eight. You know, if you're going to play it, you got to accept the responsibility. Of what happens when you, when you exactly. flop a pair instead of the the straight or two pair you're looking for? So, hey, uh, last week we were introduced to a pot limit Omaha cash game hand from O'Malley in part one. So we're going to hear that now and then uh, tell you what we think on the other side. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to another O'Malley's Move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. This week we're playing our regular home game. This time we've managed to talk the small group of five players into making it a mixed game of No Limit Hold'em and Pod Limit Omaha. The blinds are 50 cents, $1. We're in the second half hour of the night, which means PLO. Everyone is hovering right at about their starting stack of 100. The blinds post, the under the gun folds, the cutoff calls, and we're on the button with the jack of spades, Ten of spades, ten of clubs, nine of spades. Playing shorthanded, this might be a raising situation, but in the end we just call. The small blind folds, the big blind checks, and we go to a flop. With $3.50 in the pot, we see the queen of spades, eight of hearts, seven of hearts. The big blind checks, as does the cutoff, and we make possibly another mistake. We check. The turn is the six of clubs. The big blind checks, but the cutoff leads out for $2. This player is fairly new to poker, but she plays a solid game. She may play a little too fast and loose during the Omaha rounds, but she doesn't often step too far out of line. Still, we're going to raise it up with the nuts. We make it $4 to go. The big blind folds, but the cutoff calls. With $11.50 in the pot, the river is ugly. The queen of hearts comes down. The cutoff leads out for $4. What's the move? Uh, despite the amount of potential trouble here, I think I'm going to call. Um, if she was strong on the flop, uh, she would have bet it. Uh, when she bet the turn, it's most likely the same straight we have, uh, two pair, or a simple queen that uh, she feels better about after it checked around on the flop. If I'm right, the only real danger for us now is that she has a kicker with her queen. Uh, but I'm inclined to see this as a $4 investment in how our opponent, uh, new to the game yet solid, plays PLO. 
Yeah, I am most definitely calling and not raising. Anytime a board pairs, I just unless I have the, the nuts or something, I am not doing anything crazy here. Uh, she could have just easily had uh, a weak queens up that improved to a boat or even an underboat. So, you know, it would explain how she played it. So I'm going to call and and, uh, and get some information, I think. And we could still be ahead. Our straight could still be good. So here comes part two. Hello again. Are we ahead 35% of the time here to justify this call? Ultimately, probably not. This paired the board and completed a myriad of flush draws. But getting nearly 3-1 to one on my money, I'm going to call out of curiosity. We call and lose to pocket sevens. Until next time, I'm Malcolm O'Malley saying these are the moments when saving money is just as good as winning money. I hope to see you on the show. Uh, yep, like I said, I obviously wanted us to win, uh, but that four bucks is uh, money well spent on opposition research. Look, look at you throwing around the political terms. <laughs> Opposition research. Actually, no, if I was truly a political, I would say op research. I, I know. Opposition <laughs> research. So. You can tell I'm a first time kid. Oh, jeez. All right. No, well, no surprise here. Um, uh, now that we, oh, like I said earlier, now we know that it's bottom set on that flop. We can see why she wasn't that aggressive with it and only called our raise earlier. And um, now it's worth the money. You know, of note, though, bottom boats. I mean, they, they cost people a lot of money. Oh, absolutely. So, so she played it probably as, as cleanly as you well, could. that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Now we have we, we, four bucks. is probably the cheapest poker lesson you'll ever get right now. Yeah. If it's someone out in game, so you got to be you know, relatives of the amount. But now we know that she checked the, a set. Yep, a bottom a, set. A pretty scary board. Yep. And that's – and so, you know, unless she learns that she shouldn't do that, um, that in our back of our mind now, we're going to know that that's a possibility, and there is going to be opportunities where um, you know we improve in uh, beater because of that. My my problem actually was with O'Malley on that turn. Um, the turn is a six of clubs, and there's a two dollar bet from her, and we only make it four. We min raise when that is an extremely dangerous board. Yeah, you know, we were, yeah, okay. We were a lot we've, of trouble on any river yeah, card. I mean, we've yeah. got the nuts, but hearts and pairing the board makes us lose. Why not make this person, if they have the same hand as you, make them pay? I can see where you're like, oh, okay, well, she could, have, she could be free rolling with the same hand, but that's a very precise reason to not do it. And why are you raising it all anyway then? To get two more dollars? I, I would have I would have potted it there. And say, yeah, if, and here's what happens. <clears throat> if you do that, then she has to, when she's smart, she's going to relook at the board and go, ah, and see the straight, right? See the straight, or at least a and bigger set. she's going to have to decide now, do I call? Because maybe he doesn't have the straight. Um, or if he does, then I get the backup of being able to get my boat or quads. Um, and depending on the amount of money, and if you make a pot size bet there, I'm going to, I didn't run the math, but I'm going to assume that she's making a mistake. Yeah, for 10 outs. Um, but clearly not making a mistake for two dollars, right? And um, so even though we would have ended up losing the hand anyhow, because if if we got her to call there, which we're assuming that she would have, um, you know, the river card's not going to change. We're still going to lose. Um, I think you're right. I think we we gave her an opportunity to win there that we shouldn't have. Yeah, we gave her an opportunity to not pay the proper price to beat us. Okay. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we, and even she did call all that off. Even then, you still have a chance to beat her with a bigger bet at the end. She may be nervous and check to you, and then you're like, I got eights full or queens full. She may see that as, you know, 
or we're well, not Queen's Hole because the Queen came on the end, but you know what I mean. She may see, holy cow, I've got I've got a worse hand here. This guy's really betting into me, and you might even still get her to lay down the best hand. But that turn bet, I think, just proved did nothing. It did nothing except build a bigger pot for her instead of you taking it down there. I would have wanted to have taken it down the turn. I agree. All right, it's time for Hand of the Week. Send your hands or situations to podcast at antiatmagazine.com. Our good friend from San Diego, Michael Paul. I wonder if he's, uh, what he thinks about the Chargers moving to a soccer Just stadium. Two, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course, I mean, I don't know what you would wear to a football game playing in a soccer stadium. Uh, I don't know. Probably a cricket jersey. Probably. Yeah, I was gonna say cricket. You're going to say cricket. Ah, that, is, that is not good. That, that is, is not good. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, I, I enjoy uh, hanging out with Mike, uh, Michael uh, to, uh, to see the, um, the Padres team. So. Right, right. Yep. Good memories. All right. Uh, he says, uh, something I sometimes have trouble with is playing an overpair to the board. Sometimes the board may be coordinated and other times it is seemingly dry. But when faced with a re-raise, I sometimes don't know what to do. Does the opponent have a set? You know, everybody likes to limp and, and call uh, call preflop with pairs and set mine. Even we do it. So this situation came up the other night in a $1, $3, no limit uh, hold'em game. I was sitting uh, with about $300 and had two black queens. Um, I guess we'll I guess we'll treat it as a hand. It's, it's not a situation. He says a situation, but yeah, we'll, we'll see how it develops. Uh, well, I mean, you know, pretty standard. Oh yeah, so uh, actions on us. Uh, I don't know exactly where we are at the table. He didn't give us that information, but that's why it's probably a situation. But I'll, I'll raise to you know twelve or fifteen, whatever. It just depends on on what the standard bed is and what the stacks are around me and stuff. But raise to something like that. Yeah. So, yeah, I imagine the standard raise would be 10 to 15, and I'm doing 10 to 15. Yeah. All right, he says, I raised to 15, which was about normal for the table. Okay. All right, there you go. A bigger there, that's fine. Uh, one guy to my left calls, and the other person uh, in later position also calls. Um, so we have two callers. Uh-huh. Uh, the first caller has about 250 to start the hand. He says, I've never played with any of these people before, as I'm at a different casino than I normally go to. In my limited time at the table, he doesn't seem overly aggressive and just bet his hands. Uh, just bets his hands. I don't remember much about the third player. And uh, okay, uh, so the flop is four, seven, eight, and the seven and eight are hearts. And uh, actions on us. Uh, well, I mean, we took advantage of of having a big hand preflop by raising, so we took control of the hand. And there's no reason to not take control of the hand with this. Somebody could have cards that fit in there somehow, but it's very coordinated. Um, you know, do, can somebody have five six here? Uh, probably, probably it's possible. But um, I have to bet. I have to protect this hand. I took control. I have to keep betting. So, um, what was it like forty five in the pot or so? I guess I'd bet about yeah, forty five minus rake and other blind stuff. So yeah, it was- yeah. Right around forty-five. So I'd I'd bet around twenty-five thirty. Yeah, I was thinking green chip right there. Yeah, twenty-five dollar yeah. bet. Yeah, uh, thirty's fine too. But um, all right, here says I was the pre-flop aggressor, so I put out a bet of thirty. Okay. Uh, the guy to my left doesn't think too long before min raising to sixty. Third guy folds and he comes back to me. <sighs> well, <laughs> the the min raise doesn't necessarily mean this guy's flopped the nuts. I mean. Right, because if he's flopped the nuts, the only thing he's got to worry about is hearts. And 
really you don't play poker that way. You don't automatically just, you know, say, "Okay, I'm going to I'm going to min raise because I can afford you to get, you know, cards for cheap or whatever." I mean, it sounds like this guy is is getting tricky, but I don't think he's getting tricky with the nuts. It doesn't seem like it. If he had 7-8, we still have outs. Um I don't know what the point of min raising is here. I really don't. Yeah, I'm going to say a couple things that I think are interesting about this. You're right. If you had the straight already, um, I think that's really well disguised, right? Yeah. Um, And I'm not worried about the hearts because we were pre-flop aggressors. So, I mean, it's possible that we could have ace-king of hearts or ace-queen hearts, something like that. But more likely we have what we have is a pair. So the hearts... I don't think the hearts are going to be an issue until the river, maybe if it goes runner runner. But so I, I, I don't, I'm not too scared here of anything. Um, so why not let the prefab aggressor continue? Let's walk the dog here. Right? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't see. I don't. I, the only thing I can see this guy doing is saying, "Well, you know what? I don't believe you." So I'm just going to min-raise here, make it look like it's scary, and get you to yeah, go away for the cheapest price. It. That's what it seems like to me. It's like, hey, do you really have something? And, you know, I, I only want to commit $30 to find out whether you have right. something. Right, exactly. <laughs> and if we have nothing, then maybe we'll go away, even though for a min-bet. Um, and if we do have something big, then he'll get raised. And then he's like, all right, good. I'm out of this hand for 30 bucks. I got what I needed. So uh, all that points to the fact that he's – nowhere near as strong as we are I don't think I, I will point to an episode in my life where it was the darkest day of poker I ever had at Foxwoods um, I had been playing earlier and I lost a big pot or something and so I rebought for like 200 or something and it was like the 1-2 game and uh, that was back when you were paying like $5 a half an hour to play there and stuff too and I had pocket queens, very same thing, and it was like eight high. And I bet out, and the guy, and it, it felt like, I don't think he min-raised me, though. I think he 3 x it or whatever. And I just said, you know what, I finally got an overpair. I'm going to get my money back, and I shoved it, and he flopped the top set. He set of eights. Hmm. So at this point, in my head right now, I'm thinking of that hand, and I'm thinking of the perils of that, and do I really want to make it 180 or shove on this guy right now? Um, but I don't want to call. I, I don't think that's the right... What am I calling for, you know? That I hope a blank comes on the turn because he can still have me beat, you know? Are we hoping for a four to give us a better two-pair than his seven-eights if that's what seven eights, if that's what he has? So either I'm getting out and I believe him or I'm raising and making it like 180 because I, I, don't, I don't... If I don't think I'm beat, I think he's just being coy and shit. I'm, I'm, I don't know. I'm betting. So I, I don't... I know I should have learned my lesson from before. He could have a set... Um, but it just seems like he we're real aggressive. It seems like we're having an overpair. If this guy had a set, he knows we're going to not go anywhere, so why make it 60? Why not make it 90 yeah, and let exactly. us get it all in? Exactly. wants us to overcommit, right? Right. So I'm going to raise him. I'm going to raise right here to like 180 or 150 or something. Just I'm not going to do a cutesy min-raise thing because what if he is drawing and then he yeah, gets yeah. So I'm going to make him pay, and if I, if I lost, I'm going to learn my mistake, but I, I just it doesn't feel like this guy has us beat. Now, I think this is a probe we can raise. Yeah. All right. Our hero says, now I start thinking. Uh, first, in my experience, generally speaking, at the 1-2, one, 1-3 one, games I play in, a good bet means a good hand. Most people don't like to bet their draws. They'd rather check, call their draws, about a position, or just call a position and fire once they make their hand. 
but people will often, rightfully so, uh, bet their big hands, big made hands against draws. Obviously, a made hand in this case would be any overpair, any set, 5-6, and lastly, a weird two-pair if you played 7-8 suited to my pre-flop race. Mind you, I don't really know how this guy plays, so I can't really say what he has, uh, but pocket nines, tens, and even jacks would certainly re-raise my bet if he just thinks I'm continuation betting with a ace-something. If he hit a set, he also would re-raise if he's afraid of the draws, when he can argue uh, whether his raise amount was sized appropriately to scare off uh, scare anybody out or precise appropriately to keep people in. It probably doesn't put me on 5-6 because I was the uh, pre-flop early position raiser and it's not that good of a hand to raise without a position. So he's got to be putting me on a draw, an overpair, uh, or a big ace. So if he has any made hand other than the pair, I'm crushed. It's highly unlikely that he limped in with ace-ace or king-king, so I beat any overpair to the board he may have. I beat any draw he may have at this moment. So what do you do? Uh, calling isn't an option. As far as I can determine, raise or fold are the only plays to make. If you raise, how much? Is it all going in on the turn anyhow? Uh, I've walked into sets enough to be concerned, so I really was at a loss. I had uh, recently lost about $150 on hands that just didn't work out my way. Not bad play, but big hands that missed. See, bet the flop, get called, check, fold the turn, etc. Normal stuff. But maybe this swayed my decision. I know flopping a straight isn't common. Flopping a set happens one out of eight times you play a pair. If he has a flush draw, it will get there uh, on this flop four times out of ten. But in the end, I pretty much had no clue what he could have, so I figured I could uh, be ahead about as easily as I could be behind. and didn't want to risk my stack with such a wet board. I folded since it was only into the pot for $45. I asked him later if he uh, had a real hand or a draw, and he just told me that if I had raised back, he probably would have folded if I may, had a made hand there, I, I probably would have said the same thing, so we won't ever know. I ended up doubling my initial buy-in before leaving, so it was still a good night. Yeah, I don't fault the fold, if, especially if you're getting vibes, you know, of something. Oh, yeah, you know, There's yeah. nothing wrong with just investing $45 in that hand and saying, you know what, I'm up right now, and I'm playing well, and I can beat this table. Why put it on a coin flip with someone who may not may or may not understand well, betting the or hands? Well, the important part is we don't know this player, right? Right. So we really... We're at a loss as to where we are. So, you know, I know I get chided for folding more often than I should, but when I don't know where I am in the hand, I, I think it's almost always safer to get out of it. Now, you can argue that we should spend more time, I spend more time, or get better at understanding where I am in the hand at that point. But if you really don't know where you are in the hand, I, I'm never going to fault you for folding. Right, right. And, that, and it wasn't like you you know committed half your stack to this and then you know yeah. you know uh, mathematically and financially you it was a mistake to fold i mean this is a, one of those things that's after the flop you weren't sure and you let it go but to me just when i think about and he, he actually touched on it himself a little bit there if we had a draw he wouldn't min raise so he's not afraid of us having a draw so that means he doesn't think we have a draw so he he's got to put us on you know either ace king and missing and he wants to find out for cheap I just don't see any hand that he has that the min raise is the right play there. Really, I, I, I don't. Yeah. I don't see. And it. I think that's it. So I, I think what happened here is Michael let himself, as he said, swayed um, by just this frustration that he's had on other hands, yeah. where he's been in the scenario and he just didn't want to add to the misery here, um, and he let that voice be louder in his head than the analysis that we just did, where it just didn't make sense for any holding for. The mid race. It, it was just an odd thing. 
and if we raised back, it sounds like, according to the opponent, you know, whether he's trying, uh, telling us the truth or not, that he would have folded and we would have won this hand because of it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't fault you for the fold. Hey, look for me on the pitch uh, on Sundays in the Tampa Bay area as striker Casenza wearing number nine. I'm Chris Casenza. <laughs> I'm Scott Locke. We'll see you at the tables. Anti-Up is a production of antiupmagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network.